Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and we're back with another update. And uh, I think both of us have done a lot of reading the last two weeks. We've got way too much stuff to talk about. Mm, I'm so excited. It's really good stuff, too. At least mine is. Tell us about yours. What have you been reading? Mine were really all over the place, but that's not unusual. Uh, I read a book called The Kaepernick Effect by Dave Zirin. Um, it is, of course, about Colin Kaepernick, the former NFL quarterback who took a knee to make a statement about racial injustice in this country. Uh, but it's not really about Kaepernick. It's about other people who did it. And he goes from high school athletes to college athletes to pro athletes, and they all tell their individual stories. Um, the, the one thing that I did really want to say that resonates, I think, across any kind of um, political feeling, uh, and people tend to feel strongly about this, is early in the book he talked about how there is this narrative today that kids are soft and everything's handed to them and everything's so easy. And he said, that's so crazy. Kids <laughs> today deal with so many more complicated things than generations before ever even imagined. And I listen to that, and again, regardless of what you think about young people trying to use their platform as athletes to make a political statement, uh, that, I think, is undoubtedly true. Yeah. And, and, you know, really the rest of it kind of follows from there. It, it seems weird to me to talk about 14- and 15-year-old kids wanting to make a political statement about police, about race, but it's real to them in a way that, you know, man, it sure wasn't to me growing up. But. Well, I remember being 14 and 15 and, and really desperately wanting to make a difference, wanting to have somebody listen to me about those things that matter that I thought were important and feeling like I didn't have any way that nobody would listen. So, yeah, so that's, it was an interesting book, kind of uneven because of the way that it's just, here's one person's story and here's another person's story. And you know, some of them were people I wouldn't have thought about. There was a, an Ivy League cheerleader, I remember, who was African-American and, and she took a knee. And, you know, interesting. Not something I normally would have uh, read, but just kind of stumbled onto it. Funny, because I think it sounds like it's right up your alley. Uh, it, it was well-timed. Uh, the next one was a book called Battle of the Bay by Gary Peterson, which was about baseball in 1989, which is the year that I started watching baseball. So <laughs> it, it, uh, it definitely was a blast from my past with you know Jose Canseco and, and guys like that. And of course, the big story of 1989 was in the middle of the World Series, they had an earthquake, and a pretty bad one. And uh, that's really, to the extent that people remember that year and, and that baseball season, that's what they talk about, and it gets a lot of talk here. Uh, and, you know, you had San Francisco and Oakland in the World Series. You could literally take the bus from one stadium to the other. So that was kind of cool. But, you know, a good historical overview. It uh, wasn't life-changing or anything, but every book doesn't have to be. So fair enough. I read In the Year of the Boar and Jackie Robinson by Betty Bow Lord. Hmm. It's an older book. It's a young adult book, I would say. Maybe children, it, it kind of... It's somewhere in that range. Um, it was a book that I wanted to read when I was working on my book on Jackie Robinson, and I couldn't find it. And lo and behold, got a chance to do this. I listened to this with uh, our kids in the car. and Ah, uh, uh, okay. It okay. was a very good book. Uh, an interesting multicultural thing. Uh, we've got our main character who moved from China to the United States in 1947, 
Uh, and of course, that's the year of Jackie Robinson and, and her school teacher, Mrs. Rappaport, I remember her name, gives a great <laughs> mini sermon to the kids at school. They're talking about Jackie Robinson, and she says, why is Jackie Robinson important? And nobody wants to dive in. And she gives a definitive statement about sports and culture and the way that somebody who is different from everybody else still being able to be a part of this great American game changes the stage. And, of course, our, our little Chinese girl loves Jackie Robinson. That really resonates to her. He's different. She's different. But they're both doing their best. And it's a fun kind of coming-of-age novel. Uh, hmm. a, a little dated in spots, but on the whole, I think still one that, that's well worth reading. Um, the Sun and the Moon and the Rolling Stones by Rich Cohen, on the other hand, very different because, as the title suggests, a book about the stones uh, I really enjoyed this. It's a difficult thing to engage in, you know, a what does it all mean, Nigel kind of book about something as diverse and long running as the Stones. And Rich Cohen does a good job of tying it to his own life and his own feelings. And in doing so, really kind of gives some, some cool context to all the comings and goings and the insanity of the Rolling Stones, which is still ongoing. They're still out there on tour. I don't know if you saw, there was a great thing the other day. Uh, they were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Mick Jagger had just slipped out to some little pub, and he'd taken a selfie outside some little dive pub in the middle of Charlotte and was like, just hanging out in Charlotte. And, of course, everybody was freaking out. But Very Mick Jagger. It was. Uh, Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. This is the third of Bob Woodward's Trump trilogy. Uh, this one being concerned with the most recent happenings focuses, I would say, pretty equally on Biden and Trump. And for that reason, probably it's the one of these three books that in 50 years or 100 years, when people want to look back at the insanity of the last year or two and say, what was all that about? Uh, I think Peril will be one of the books they go to. It's breathtakingly well-researched. It's well-written. I mean, Bob Woodward... He, he knows anything worth knowing and probably can get it from 10 different sources. At the same time, as good as the book was, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just uh, much like the pandemic book. It's a subject that I've lived too close to for too long. Maybe if I'm still around in 50 years, I'll want to go back and revisit it. But for now, uh, I'm glad Bob wrote these books. They're good books and they're important books. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to turn the page and move on to something else as a reader. Nothing personal. Makes sense to me. Then I also had Homeward Bound, The Life of Paul Simon by Peter Ames Carlin, and that's Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel, not Paul Simon, the former Illinois senator. Um, <laughs> Either is possible with you. Yeah, they really, uh, I respect the work of both. Uh, like, I'm listening to what you read, and I'm thinking, where is he getting all over the place? You read books about politics, sports, and music. This is... Totally you. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty. It's a pretty wide-ranging uh, group there. But uh, uh, Peter Ames Carlin's Springsteen biography was very good. I've got that one on the shelf over there. So I was interested to see what he made of Paul Simon. And he's one of these guys who gets close enough to know the inner workings of somebody, but he's never, quote-unquote, authorized. I thought he did a good job of not 
spending too much time and energy on things like Paul Simon's failed marriage to Carrie Fisher, which is interesting, but it's interesting for about a page. And then I'm like, what, what else can I say? People have trouble in marriages all the time. Uh, but the, the creative stuff is, is well covered and Paul's, uh, disappointing habits of being a little heavy handed in business dealings. I'm trying to put this kindly. Some people would say Paul's absolutely been awful to some of the people he worked with. Um, but maybe that's a strong way of putting it. I don't know. But, uh, the comings and goings of that was very interesting. Uh, I would put this on par with his uh, Springsteen book. It, it's, it's a very good biography of Paul Simon. If you want a, a one-stop shop on that, this would do pretty well. I don't often like to read biographies of musicians that I really like because the ones that I have, it seems like you always come up with somebody who's just saying all kinds of bad things about them. And while it may be true, it's not what I wanted to know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. So, I don't know. I mean, that's the issue, you know. Sometimes you can learn too much. So, I thought it was a good try it and not being too muckraking but at the same time not glossing over the very human faults of the guy it does sound like it's been a good couple weeks of reading it has uh what have you been up to the first one that i finished was apples never fall by leanne moriarty i love her um i think i've read everything that she's ever written i think this was the brand new book that came out this month and um i think everything that i've read over these two weeks with the exception of one book came from the library. <laughs> That's where I got this one. Mm -hmm. um, the library has just been immensely good to me lately. Anyway, Apples Never Fall is the story. All her books are set in Australia. Um, and it's the story of a man and a woman who have been married absolutely forever, Joy and Stan, and they're retired now. Um, they have four children who are grown and living their own lives fairly nearby. Um, but as happens with so many retired couples, you have quit what was the passion of your life, like what kept you moving. Mm -hmm. Now what are you supposed to do? And um, they turn up with at least one odd pastime in their retirement. And after this odd pastime, Joy disappears. And Stan is the main suspect in her presumed killing. And that's what this book is. It sounds like a thriller. It's not a thriller. Um, that's one of the things that I love about Leanne Moriarty's books. Um, they're really just very much more um, psychological. What is marriage? What is friendship? What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to be a parent? Mm -hmm. And uh, in this book, what does it mean to be retired? What is my life supposed to look like now? Um, I enjoy that kind of stuff very, very much. And so this was a great book. Um, I, she didn't lots of people didn't like her last book very well nine perfect strangers i did um but this one is much more like her previous book so if you had liked her like big little lies this might be another one that you would like okay um then i read the love hypothesis by Allie hazelwood probably my favorite favorite romance book that i've read this year um if I'm going to read romance, and this is definitely an open door romance, again, just fair warning if you think about picking it up. Um, I'm going to read romance. I like it to be smart romance about people who are interesting. And this book basically takes place in a university setting. Olive is a grad student in a STEM program at Stanford. Um, one of two female students in her program when she starts. So you get a look at that side of academic life. Um, 
there are some silly premises because it is a romance, right? So, um, on a whim one night as she's trying to convince her best friend, who's the other female STEM student in the program, that she is really okay with um, her friend dating a guy that she also has dated, she um, turns around in the hallway, grabs the first guy she sees, and gives him a kiss to make sure that her friend sees that she is dating someone. And it turns out to be a tenured professor in her department whom she somehow manages to convince to fake date her until she can convince her friend that she is actually capable of holding down another relationship, which, of course, then blossoms into love. It was a sweet book. Um, It dealt with some big issues in academia um, in the whole kind of Me Too movement. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. Sounds fun. Then I read Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. And Ryan, our son Ryan and I read that one. Um, he, I, I'd never read the whole thing, like from start to finish. Have no, you? No. I always just picked it up from where my sisters had it and just read, you know, opened it at random and read a poem or two. But he and I went all the way through. Of course, some poems are better than others. But on the whole, just funny, whimsical. The illustrations are really cute, too. We really enjoyed it. You know he did an audiobook version of it, right? No, I didn't know. It's out there. So oh, I've fun. seen it. I've wondered about it just because, <laughs> I mean, he's such a funny dude. I'm sure he did a great job. All right. Um, the next book that I read was Beautiful Country by Chen Julie Wong. And um, this one was just heartbreakingly sad. I talked to you about this while I read it because there were times when I wasn't sure I could finish it. This was the story of an undocumented immigrant in this country Her parents brought her when she was, I don't know, like six or seven maybe from China. So um, she had most of her memories here in America, but it was in extreme poverty and in the fear that her parents had that they would be caught, that they would be sent back, that terrible things would happen. Um, Her parents had been professionals in China and here they're working in sweatshops. They're working very long hours. Um just the difficulties of living in this kind of life break your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, The author of this book did um, manage to overcome a lot of the hardships. She's um, a lawyer, I believe in Brooklyn right now who works with other immigrants and tries to help um, people who live the kind of childhood that she did. There was a lot of beauty in this book. It's very well written, but honestly just the whole story it just, it tears you apart. Yeah, sometimes you're in the mood for it and sometimes not. Then I followed that one up with Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Love Anthony Doerr. We've talked about him before because I reread his memoir, um, Four Seasons in Rome. And then we've mentioned, I'm full pretty sure we've talked repeatedly about All the Light We Cannot See, yeah. which was just masterful. And this is his newest work, which also came out this month. Um, it is um, hefty. Over 600 pages. <laughs> and I'm on page 15. <laughs> but I read it in two days. Um, part of that is that I was on fall break and had the time. But the other part is that it was quite captivating. At first, I wasn't really sure about this one either because probably because I followed this. I, like I read this book right after I read Beautiful Country. So I was already in a really, really sad place. But sometimes it just felt too sad to me. But one of the things that Doer is really good at is the resilience of his characters and the way that they create hope, even when it's hard to hope. And they do a really good job with this in the story. Probably the best thing about it is that it's a book about a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows the um, it follows a Greek myth 
from the 1450s in Constantinople, where it's rediscovered for 2020 and then into the future on like an intergalactic ship. Yeah, I've already um, been there and it was freaking yeah. me out a little bit. This same story and the power that books have to um, both make you just feel connected to something bigger than yourself and then literally to connect you to other people. Very meta. It's, it's amazing. So I cannot wait for you to finish it. Um, all right. Next one is, and this is the last one for me. It's called No Cure for Being Human by Kate Bowler. It's another very sad book in some ways, but also, again, just chock full of human resilience. Kate Bowler was, this is a memoir. She was 35 years old. She had cancer. Um, she was stage four already. And she had a little son. She had a husband. She had a career that she loved. Um, and the idea behind this book is reflected in the title, the idea that um, a human life, like we so often think that we can make our lives whatever we want them to be just by the power of our determination, mm -hmm. by how well we set goals, by how well we plan it out. We can do anything. We can have it all. We can achieve it all. Until but, you can't. <laughs> until you can't, exactly. You're not more just because you did achieve everything that you wanted to very easily. And you're not less just because you were stopped from cancer. There's all of us are just humans into every life, the good and the bad will fall. I'm probably describing it really poorly, but this is one of the best books that I've read this year. Mm -hmm. It's very thin. You can read it really quickly. I didn't read it super quickly because I wanted to think it through. There was a lot in this book. Um, Kate Bowler, she's a professor at Duke. Um, she is a phenomenal writer. She's a phenomenal thinker. And this book is very well worth your time. You remind me of uh, something with the late Norm MacDonald with his recent mm -hmm. passing from cancer. And he said, people say, oh, you know, he fought a good battle, but cancer, cancer took him. And he said, uh, I think when I die, cancer dies too. So I, I think that's kind of a win. <laughs> I thought, well, that's that's one way to see it, Norm. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, in any case, we've got some special guests. Yes, so let's go ahead and um, start with them. So we have two special guests on the podcast today. The first one is our son, Ryan, who's here to talk with us about the picture book, When the Beat Was Born, DJ Cool Herc and the Creation of Hip Hop by Laban Carrick Hill. So Ryan, you want to tell us what this book is about? It's about DJ Cool Herc, the creator of hip hop, and it's a very good book for all ages. And I like this book a lot because it has a great summary. It doesn't have all the details, but it tells you what you need to know about his life, right? Yeah. What? Had, why did you like DJ Cool Herc in the first place? Because I love old school hip hop, and he was the guy who invented hip hop, so. I was very interested in him, and that's why I read the book. Yeah, and that's what I really liked about this book. I had heard you talk about DJ Cool Herc for a long time, and I had even read some books with you about rap and hip-hop, and I know your dad had too, um, that mentioned him. But I didn't know much about him, and so I thought this book did a really good job, like you said, summarizing his life yeah. and really showing the development of his growth as a DJ and his career. What about you, Joe? What did you like best about this book? Yeah, the, the evolution of any new thing is always a cool story. And, I mean, nobody comes up with anything totally new on their own. So to see him grow from, you know, a child who, who had these uh, DJs he liked and, uh, you know, a broad group of, of different kinds of music that he listened to 
and, and have it grow into something that became his own thing that he incorporated new sounds, um, you know, coming up when he did in the late seventies, early eighties in New York, when all this stuff was coming out. Um, you know, it, it's just cool to see kind of that stew of how you take five old things and one thing, new thing and you put them in a pot and you make something totally new. I, while you were trying to get the recording up and ready to go, I was skimming the author's note in the back of this book. And it talked about how in a time period when everybody looked at the South Bronx and Harlem as this dangerous, drug-riddled place, when he was doing work there, what he saw and what really stood out to him was the music spun by DJs like mm-hmm. Cool Herc. And what a unique thing that they made this area that everybody else looked down on. So it's pretty awesome to learn about this time period in music history. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this one with us, Ryan. You're welcome. Is there something else that people can check out if they want to know more about DJ Cool Herc? Any other books or anything? <laughs> um, if you were interested in the thing, I'm not really sure of any other books that I know of, but I do know that there is an album on Spotify, so if you're interested to hear some of the stuff he does, you can... Find it on Spotify, and you'd probably be able to find it somewhere else if you don't have Spotify or don't know what Spotify is. Very good connection. Thanks, Ryan, for the recommendation. Our second guest is our daughter, Natalie, who is here to talk about the shared read we mentioned last week, and I talked about it a little bit then as well, When Stars Are Scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Muhammad. Natalie, you want to give us a summary? Tell us what this book's about. Okay, so When Stars Are Scattered was based on a true story, and it is the story of Omar and his younger brother, Hassan, and they are living in a Somalian refugee camp, and Hassan has some disabilities. It makes it hard for him to communicate or understand what's going on, Um, and when Omar is eventually able to go to school in the refugee camp, and it changes his life and yeah that's basically the story yeah it changes him his life it gives him dreams and hope for the future and this was a book that you all read in your middle school book club right yep and you wouldn't give it to me for over a month because you read it again and again and again (laughs) yeah tell me you read this book like five times right yeah so why did you read it so many times what did you like about this book well this book was I hadn't read anything like this book in a long time or like, ever. Like a graphic novel, you mean? or Yeah, in a way, partly. It's that I hadn't read a graphic novel in a really long time, and this book makes me want to go find some more graphic novels. <laughs> but it was also partly because I'd never really read anything like this, and yeah, it was really an eye-opener, and it showed me a lot about what it's actually like for Somalian refugees and stuff. And we were talking about this earlier, about how I read the whole book and didn't realize until the author's note at the end that this was a true story, that Omar Muhammad is the Omar in the story. <laughs> I, just not, I didn't make the connection. Don't think I'm dumb. Um, but that was just, it was a gorgeous story. Like you said, very eye-opening, um, showing us what the day-to-day life in a refugee camp is. I think one of the things that stuck out to me the most was every new section would start with something like, and then five years later, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're still there. You know, I, yeah. I, I didn't have any concept of the amount of time. In my head, I assumed that refugees get moved, 
Mm. You know, it takes much longer if they than, ever get than moved. I could have ever imagined. And, and they may never get moved, and they may live there their entire lives. Yeah, and he talks about the um, depressing idea that this could be his whole life, that this could be everything for him. And he he was a kid who is here with his brother, separated from his parents, um, and, and he's looking at this for the. He didn't ask for this. You know, he didn't do anything to deserve this. Yeah. Um, and I thought that this was just a really, really both heartbreaking and uplifting look into the life of a refugee. And it follows him from this camp then all the way up into adulthood. What about you, Joe? What stood out to you about this book? Yeah, it's a hard book to write because you have to balance a very depressing topic, but then uh, a lot of hope. And Omar is such a remarkable character. Uh, he balances so many things out. I mean, he, he his father is dead. His mother is missing. So that's one of the motifs of the story. He's always looking for his mother. Um, and uh, his brother, as Natalie said, is disabled. Uh, you know, he doesn't trust that he could really function on his own. They have a neighbor in the refugee camp uh, who who is their kind of de facto mom. She is their foster mom. She's yeah, yeah, she, she has done that. Um, and, and, you know, his loyalty is very divided. He feels guilty sometimes about going to school. And, and you know, Hassan uh, can't go to school, so, so he goes and Hassan stays home. And he worries about that, and he feels bad about that. And there's a lot of interesting politics in terms of when people finally get to leave the refugee camp and they get to go somewhere else, there's such a mass of emotions from them. They're excited and they're scared to death and they feel guilty because they get to go and somebody else doesn't. Um, you know, there's so much wrapped up in such a concise, well-written book. Uh, it flies by. It's a great read. It, I think, would be eye-opening for most anybody and really just one of the best books I read this year. Well, it's so important because, um, like we've said, I think I've said it a couple of times since we started this conversation, you hear large numbers of refugees arriving in different countries, ours included. And it's really, really easy and tempting to kind of just put that large number in a lump in your head and push it aside but this reminds you that what we're looking at here is not just a number. Every single one is a person, a human with a face and a story um, and hopes and dreams just like ours. And, and you, you hope when you read something like this that were we ever in that position that there would be some place for us to go where people would be welcoming. And you hope it just for these characters in the story. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit just about other books that might be similar to this, and I can't think of anything <laughs> that's just yeah. like it. Because like you said, Natalie, it's um, the, the graphic novel, the illustrations are really done well. Um, that kind of makes it stand out as different from a lot of the adult novels. And I haven't read any other young adult novels about refugees that are exactly like this. And as Dad mentioned earlier, it did a good job of being able to balance this is a really hard and sad topic but it also wasn't a super depressing story and it still kept some hope in there and you weren't bogged down by the sadness. At the same time, they could not make the entire story rainbows and lollipops and stuff. And yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, by the, it's not rainbows and lollipops, but it's a very well-written book and one that absolutely flies by to read. One that I'm so glad your book club chose, and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. Me too. If you are interested in helping the plight of refugees here in our country, one suggestion that we have is the International Center of Kentucky. If you want to see what they're doing, ways that you can help, and potentially donate to them, the website will be in the show notes. Meanwhile, our next shared read, meeting back here in two weeks, will be a book that I mentioned earlier, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. You are 15 pages in and just rolling strong. Yeah, only 600 nod to go. (laughs) It's a fabulous book. Um, I've been really hoping that you would finish it so that I could talk to you about it. Um, I tagged um, Haley on Instagram to tell her I I need to know what she thinks of this book too. Mm -hmm. So also any of you, if you have read this book, if you intend to read this book, please let us know. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod. Well, that should about cover it. I hope it uh, is all going well with all of you. And for goodness sake, keep reading. Bye.